Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for being here. If you're watching online today or sometime during the middle of the week, thanks for spending a little bit of your time with us. Man, when Mike was, uh, was asking us to pray for 2019 and um, thanking God for what he did in 2019, I, I felt like saying in the 8 a.m. service, Mike, I need about 30 more minutes to thank God for 2019 because what happened at our church last year was just incredible. And if 2020 is better than 2019, then man, there are great things to come for our church. If you're brand new to our church, welcome. If you didn't get a chance to be at our Christmas services, we're celebrating at our church. The last seven weeks of 2019, as a church, we kind of collaborated together and said, is it time for us uh, to build another building? Every Sunday morning right now, we have five services. Three are here. Two are at Summit Lakes Middle School. Two are on video. Three are live. We drive back and forth like crazy. It's just kind of an insane schedule. And we said, since God has given us so many more people than seats, maybe we need to build more seats. So we introduced a new building to our people um, that we've been working on for a year, our master campus design. If you lift the lid off, we said we think there's really three priorities for our church right now. We need to triple the size of our auditorium so our church can be together um, on Sunday in the same place instead of in two different locations. We need a huge atrium kind of foyer area where people can spread out and breathe a little bit. Uh, We need a massively upgraded, eventually expanded children's area. Um, Lots more parking, easier in and out, no U-turn going in and out of our building, a big entry off of 150. And we said it's going to take eight to nine million dollars pledged above and beyond regular giving over two years for our church to get there and to, and to begin taking steps towards building this building. And we announced at our 10 Christmas services that when all of the commitments came in, we ended up at $10.7 million pledged um, over two years above and beyond our tithe. Sure, you can put your hands together for that. Um, really, really celebrating what God did. And now we're kind of in a, a little bit of a waiting game for the next six weeks. We're meeting with our architects, We're meeting with our engineers, had a big call with them actually last week. We'll be meeting with the city of Lee Summit, and it's our goal that in six or eight weeks, we'll be able to give you an update on here's where we are, here's when we'll start building, here's when we might be in the building. It's our goal once a quarter to kind of have a Difference Maker update Sunday where we tell you everything that's going on, bring you totally up to date, and keep you in the loop of what's happening. And if uh, from time to time in the next 18 months, you're watching a video service uh, through video teaching, just remember there's going to be an end date on that because we're praying God will bring our church back together. Two more items of family business that I want to handle before we dig into Matthew 6. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to Matthew 6, but some family business for our church. The first thing is this. We had uh, over 3,200 people worship with us at Christmas, uh, over 10 services. More than 200 of those acknowledged that they made some type of spiritual decision, that they said yes to Jesus for the very first time, that they made a recommitment, that they made another um, commitment, 200 of those. And next Sunday, we're hosting a lunch for all the people who took a step towards Jesus called our best day ever gathering. Here's where we need your help. If you invited somebody at Christmas who made a spiritual decision, you need to bring them to this luncheon. Discipleship is best done in one-on-one relationships, not one-on-hundreds from a stage. It's best done in relationships with people that people already know. So if you brought someone who made a spiritual decision, you are a little bit responsible for them spiritually, and their discipleship journey begins with you and the relationship that they have with you. So we want you to bring them. If you have a friend, a family member, a coworker, a teammate, um, a neighbor, somebody who made a spiritual decision with you on Christmas, Bring them back, go to lunch with them. Very few have the courage or the personality to show up by themselves. You're going to have to bring them. Um, If you get a chance, take them out to coffee, buy them a Bible, 
Begin the discipleship process with them. Remember, discipleship happens in relationships more than it does sitting at church on Sunday morning. So start bringing your friend along spiritually. That's your role in their life now. If God allowed you to bring them and they made a spiritual decision. If you brought your kids and your kids made a spiritual decision and they're under the age of 12, we're gonna ask that you bring them to our kids' faith lunch next Sunday after church. That's gonna allow your kids from the ages of six to 12 to really understand this is who Jesus is. This is what following Jesus looks like. We wanna answer their questions at their level and start them off on their spiritual path. So help us in discipling a generation of people who said, hey, I wanna follow Jesus. Might not know what that totally means, but I feel in my heart, God's calling me to say yes. Help them in their discipleship journey. That's the first order of business. Second order of business, if you look inside your bulletin, is this little card, 50-50 in 2020. Uh, We wanna be a church this year that lives on mission. We wanna be a church this year that is moving. We wanna be a church this year that's super intentional. And here's what we're asking God to do for us in January. We're asking 50 families, mainly from our 9.30 a.m. service. You may sometimes come at 9.30 a.m. Probably we're getting real close in this one. Um, If a family of four walked in right now, I don't know that there is any place in this room where they could sit together. That means there's too many people in here. So we need some families to start attending church at Summit Lakes Middle School at 9 or 10.30 a.m. We're asking people to be 30-minute, one-mile missionaries. Worship 30 minutes earlier, worship one mile down the road, because visitors don't come to Summit Lakes. They come here, and there would be no place for them for the first time ever today. Uh, I preached at Summit Lakes at 9. I came back over here at 10.30. I hit the parking lot at the time change between the 9.30 and the 11 that some of you have been in. And I asked my driver, I was like, is it like this every week? It took us like 15 minutes to get from 150 Highway to drop me off at the back. I said, this is insane. And they're like, this is what it's like every Sunday. It's why we need to build, but it's going to be 18 months before we build. So if you'd be willing to move, if you say, hey, I'll be a 30-minute, one-mile missionary so that new families can come and be a part of what God is doing, we'd like to invite you in February to start attending church at Summit Lakes. And we're looking for 50 new people to volunteer, two groups of people at our church. Some who volunteer every week to the point of you volunteer so faithfully that you're not even aware that everyone doesn't volunteer. You just think everyone volunteers every week because that's the way you've always been brought up. Another group of people who started coming, they look around and they think they probably don't need any help at this church. There's always people at the door. Seems like everything's taken care of. We always need help at this church. You say, how do I know if I'm supposed to volunteer? If you go to our church and you're not volunteering, you're supposed to volunteer. This card is for you. And we're praying that 50 of you who are not yet engaged on Sunday morning will start serving once a month in February. You can fill out this card, throw it in the offering at the end of the service, and we will find your perfect fit so you can help us stay on mission in our community. Matthew chapter six is where we are today, starting a brand new series that I'm super excited about called Dear God. Here is, here is what I want you to know. As we get ready to move into this series, here's... Here's my money back guarantee for this series by February 1. And you need to understand I say that as a metaphor. We're not going to give back any of your money if you give in January. I can let you ask really, really nice, and you'll have to ask our finance office, not me. Um, so it's a, I'm speaking in metaphors. Um, but here's what I think can happen by February 1. Uh, I think I can teach you to pray by February 1. I think if you're here all the weeks of this series or if you watch online or listen online, I think if you learn the four weeks of this series, that by February 1, you will know how to pray. I really, you'll know how to pray. Um, I think you'll be motivated to pray, and I think you'll have the opportunity to be changed by prayer. That's, that's my goal for this series, that, that you will know how to pray. You'll never feel uncomfortable. You'll know how to pray. You'll be motivated that you should pray, and eventually you'll be changed 
through prayer. That's my goal for this series. And as we ramp into this series, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 today. If you haven't already, pull your notes out of your bulletin so that you can follow along or fire up our Journey Church International app. Here's what we're going to find out about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Here's today's goals. Really, really simple. We're going to see a challenge to pray. We're going to see an outline of prayer, and we're going to see an outcome of prayer. That's, that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of what we're going to learn today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to get a challenge to pray. We're going to receive an outline of prayer. Here's how you pray. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer that some of you are familiar with, and we're going to see an outcome of prayer. What does prayer do in the heart of a person who will commit themselves to prayer? Before we start learning about prayer, we're going to pray. Because at our church, we always stop and ask God to speak to our hearts before we read God's word. So would you just bow your heads here? If you're watching online, uh, would you bow your heads? Would you take a deep breath? Some of you have not done that yet this year. Take a deep breath, settle into these moments, and pray this prayer. Just whisper it from your heart to heaven. Just ask God to speak to your heart today. Ask God to teach you how to pray. God, this month... We want you to teach us how to pray, just like Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. God, not just so we'll know how to pray, but so that we might become more like Jesus as we pray. That's what we want you to help us do, and we ask it today in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 5, go through verse 15. Jesus teaching on prayer, here's what he says. When you pray, if you have a pen, underline those three words, when you pray. It's the title of our Bible study today. When you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Verse 6, but when you pray, underline it, there it is again, when you pray. Go into your room, close the door, and pray, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, there it is again, underline those three words. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Three goals today. A challenge to pray, an outline to pray, an outcome of prayer. But really, challenge is not a strong enough word. As we look at our notes today, number one, I think we receive a mandate to pray. I think we receive a command. I think we receive a mandate to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Now, here's what's interesting about Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the central chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. As you open chapter, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, it's Jesus' longest sermon that we have in the Bible. It was probably preached over several days, but Matthew kind of put it together. And for those of you who are educators, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the scope and sequence of being a follower of Jesus. Matthew is saying this is... This is who Jesus claimed to be. This is what Jesus said a follower of Jesus would look like. And if you look at a really broad overview of the curriculum of being a Jesus follower, Matthew chapter 5 is all about the outward signs of an authentic faith. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 kind of says, if you are a real Jesus follower, here's what your life looks like. Matthew chapter 5, the outward signs, what you should see, what you should hear, what you should experience 
as you look at someone, as you are around someone who says that they're a follower of Jesus. The first things that Matthew gives us is a list in Matthew chapter 5 called the Beatitudes. In the fall of this year, we're going to take eight weeks as a church and walk through the Beatitudes one at a time. One sermon for every Beatitudes. The, the, the attitudes, the actions, the outward signs that say you are a follower of Jesus. Matthew 6 is the inward signs of having authentic faith. Things you do that no one else probably really sees. How you give, how you approach giving, how you pray, how you fast how your worry has turned to peace, how your anxiety has gone to trust because of the inward things that Jesus is doing in your life. That's Matthew chapter 6. And then Matthew chapter 7 are the active signs of an authentic faith. This is, this is how faith gets activated. We'll be in Matthew 7 next week in our prayer series, how you treat other people, how consistent you are in your faith disciplines, the fruit of your life, what, what you produce because you are a Jesus follower, how consistent you are in your spiritual disciplines. That's Matthew chapter 7. But Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7 are all built, are all given to us to say, this is what the real heart and life of a Jesus follower looks like. And one of the signs, the inward signs of having authentic faith in Matthew chapter 6 is having a life of prayer. But I, but I want you to note what I'm saying here. One of the inward signs of having an authentic faith is having a life of prayer. Hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying one of, the, one of the inward signs of having an authentic faith life is you pray. Because there are people who pray who don't have a faith life. Y'all know that, right? Like, like everyone prays. So I'm, not, I'm not talking about you pray, so that means that you have a faith life. I'm talking about you have a life of prayer, and that is one of the things that signals that you have a faith walk. You say, what's the difference? Can I share with you one of the most disturbing stories that I read over Christmas break? Is that okay? It is, it is disturbing. Let me introduce you to a little baby. His name is Hamish. This is Hamish. He's from Australia. If you look at Hamish, you might say, hey, what are those little discolorations on his cheek, Christian? I'll show you a picture of him sleeping a little bit. He's got a pacifier, and you can see him a little more clearly. Um, that's where the snake that crawled into his crib bit him three times in the face uh, while he was sleeping. I told you. You're like, Ugh. yeah, I, like I told you, it's a disturbing story, right? According to the article, his mom runs in his room. They hear him crying on the monitor. Mom runs in the room, flips on the lights. There's Hamish. There's the snake. She says to the people who interview him, I picked him up. I'm not even religious, but I just started praying. Of course you did, because <laughs> that's, that's what you do when there's a snake in, in the bed. Like, my, my story... <laughs> My, like, my story would have been different. My story would have been, I'm very religious, but I started cursing. Like, like if you... Come, like, come on, man. Snakes in beds is like, no, 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 no. Like, had I, had I been baby Hamish's dad and stormed in the room, I would have looked in the crib and said, Danielle, you got to get Hamish out of the crib. Like, I don't do snakes, man. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not my thing. She says, I'm not even religious, but I started praying. Of course you did. That's what you do when the elevator starts dropping too fast or the little yellow cups fall out of the plane compartment or there's a wreck on the highway or your teenager won't call you. Like, yes, 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 we get it. People pray when there's an emergency. That, that does not mean you have authentic faith. So I'm asking you, do you pray or do you have a life of prayer? Because in Matthew 6, Jesus assumes that people who desire relationship with God will actually have conversations with God. This is probably way easier to teach 20 years ago than it is now. 
Because right now you can, you can live in a world where you can have a relationship with someone but never speak to them, right? Those of us with teenagers, I mean, we, we get that, right? You, you can have a, a, a relationship with someone that you never speak to. You cannot have a relationship with God if you never speak to him. And Jesus here assumes that, that listen, no one wants to follow Jesus unless they want to be in a relationship with God. And who wants to be in a relationship with someone that they can never talk to? Jesus assumes if you have authentic faith, If you're really in a relationship with God, you'll talk to him because people in relationships, they talk to each other. I don't know if you saw it. I asked you to underline it three times. Jesus said three times, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. Remember, he's talking about people with authentic faith. So he says in verse five, when you pray, because people with authentic faith, they pray. And then then he says in verse six, and, and when you pray... Because if you're in a relationship with someone, you talk to them. And then he says in verse 7, and when, and when you pray, he never says if you pray. He assumes three times in today's text, like, if, of course, if you have real faith, you're going to talk to God. So when you pray, pray this way. That's why I'm so excited for 21 days of prayer again. It's something that I'm more excited about, something I cannot wait to start, something I cannot wait to be over, to be honest with you than anything in the new year, because when my alarm went off this morning at five, I thought, man, that's like the latest I'm going to sleep for the next 21 days, because Monday through Friday, the next three weeks, I'll be up at 4 a.m. so that we could be at the church at six, ready to receive you so that we can pray. I can't wait till it's over, because I don't normally get up at 4 a.m., but I cannot wait to do it, because you, because you know what? I need the win. I need the win. I, ha- I, have an, I want to have an authentic relationship with Jesus, but every now and then I need the win. I need the time, the place, the occasion, the reason. I, just, I, need, a, I need someone to help me with the win. I pray, and our church is going to do that over the next 21 days, 6 to 7 a.m. right here. Or if you're getting ready for work or if you're at work early, you can watch online, be with us online. Saturdays, 9 to 10 a.m., and then we all eat breakfast afterwards together. Sunday during church. For the next three weeks, we have the win of an authentic relationship with Jesus. Here's when you can pray. We'd love you to come and join us if you want to do that. You know, I've had several people the last, I don't know, 10 days or so who, who've been praying for us as our church has been in this building campaign and all of them started asking as we got to Christmas, so how, how'd you do? Did you make it? Where'd you end up? And when I tell people our church, you know, our church committed nearly $11 million to this project, everyone says, How? I mean, a church your size with the number of people you have, the offerings you have, the age of your congregation, there's no way. How? How in the world could your little church commit nearly $11 million to a project? And I, and I give them two answers. The first one is Dan Sutherland's. Uh, it's a God thing. Like, literally, I have no idea. I, I have no idea. It's a God thing. Um, honestly, I'm just trusting my finance office because I don't see the pledges that come in. So I hope they're not lying to me to make me feel good. I, like, I'm trusting... <laughs> We really do have that much money come in. But if you, if you say, Christian, how'd that happen? Not, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. I, like, I, I have no idea how that happened. But I do know this. If they say, is there anything you can point to? I do tell people this. Five months ago, we became a praying church. We were not that for the first eight years of our existence. But five months ago, we started as a church praying together. First for 21 days, and then every Monday at 6 a.m., And we began to ask God to help us. We started praying. If there's anything we can point to, one, it's a God thing, but we did start asking him for help really consistently. We are a church that prays. We're not filled yet with people who pray, but we want to get closer, which is why we're doing this series. We want our people to have a prayer life. We'd love for you to come pray when you pray. Not if, 
when, Jesus says, you pray. But then in verse 9, he kind of doubled down. He, he made it stronger. He said, you should pray. In verse 9, he said, you, this, this then is how you, you should pray. A really powerful challenge from Jesus. Christians should pray. And, and probably every authentic believer who's listening here, who's listening online right now, is thinking, I want to pray. I don't know how. What do I do? Jesus, number two, gives us a model prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, you should pray. And I think everyone who's a follower of Jesus is thinking, okay, but how? Could you teach me how? He gives us a model prayer. But here's some things to understand about this model prayer that I, that I want you to know that have, been, that have become important to me. Here's the first thing we need to know about what we call the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us how to pray more than he teaches us what to pray. I love the Lord's Prayer. I love to pray the Lord's Prayer. As an athlete growing up, I bet hundreds of times I have prayed the Lord's Prayer with a group of guys before or after some kind of sporting event. I love the Lord's Prayer. I love to recite the Lord's Prayer together at funerals. I love in my private time when my mind is clear and my heart is open to just meditate on the Lord's Prayer. I love the Lord's Prayer, but it was a model prayer. It taught us how to pray more than what to pray. It's not something we're supposed to memorize and pray every day for the rest of our life. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Prayer is never found repeated or recited in the rest of the New Testament prayers. It's not there anywhere. We read lots of prayers of the Apostle Paul. He never said the Lord's Prayer. We read several prayers of the Apostle Peter. He never said the Lord's Prayer. We read about Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin and he prays for them. He did not say the Lord's Prayer. I love the Lord's Prayer. I think you should memorize it and know it. But if it's the only prayer you ever pray, you're missing out because it's a prayer that teaches you how to pray more than it teaches you what to pray. You say, well, how does it teach us to pray? How can I learn to pray? Christians should pray. How do you pray? Prayer 101, the most base answer I could give you is use an outline and fill in your specifics. How do I pray? Use an outline, but then write in your real life situations. That's the easiest way to learn how to pray. There's lots of different ways to do that. Two of my treasured possessions from 2019 are my 21 days of prayer prayer journal and my Monday morning prayer journal. Um, to the point where I was afraid to bring these to church today because I don't want to lose them. I've got a very, very small box of things that I keep that are mostly journals, newspaper clippings, things that have happened that have, that have been movements of God in my life. Um, and I keep them at a place in my office that when my faith grows weak and I begin to doubt that I can look at it and remember, no, God's still moving. These two things will go in there because there's things that I prayed in here that were not humanly possible for them to happen except that God did them. And it's a great reminder for me to see things I prayed about in August that happened in December that only God could do to think, okay, prayer works. So I, I will put these away and I will hang on to them the rest of my life. Great prayer outlines. All these, all these did was tell me to write down things in my life that I should be thinking about. They were phenomenal. I cannot wait to start tomorrow's 21 day of prayer journal. I got this before Christmas and I've been looking at it and moving through it. One thing we're doing for this 21 days of prayer is we're inviting people to pray together in the morning, but we're also asking people to pray every evening on their own before they go to bed. So every day for 21 days, we've got a morning prayer that we'll pray together as a church. And then we've got an evening prayer for you to pray on your own. So you can start every day and end every day with prayer. I love great prayer journals. Pastor Brandon has put all of these together for our church, they are phenomenal. But you don't need something that detailed to learn how to pray. 
If you can remember one word that is an acronym and you know a little bit about your life story, I promise you I can teach you to pray by the time we leave here today. I'm going to use the simplest acronym for prayer that I was ever given. I was given it in college. I've taught it before at our church. I still think it's the very best one. It follows through the Lord's Prayer, the model of how Jesus taught us to pray. And I will promise you this. If you can remember the word acts, say the word acts. Not A-X, A-C-T-S. Some of you think, I only have to remember two things. That's a short acronym. No, four. Still kind of short. A-C-T-S. If you can remember acts and you can remember how to fit your life into a conversation with God, you can learn how to pray before we leave here today. Let me walk you through this acronym. The A stands for adoration. How do we pray? How does Jesus teach us to pray? We start with adoration, acknowledging to God his greatest attributes, his greatest creation. Jesus started this model prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. Start this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's Jesus saying to God? He's honoring and recognizing and adoring and and being in awe of who God is. This word hallowed, if you look at this word, comes from the word holy. That word means separate, set apart, or different. Jesus just very clearly recognizes as he begins his prayer, I'm talking to someone supernatural. I'm talking to someone powerful. I'm talking to somebody that I am in awe of. You say, how do I pray an adoration prayer? It sounds like this. God, I'm in awe of your fill in the blank. I prayed an adoration prayer this morning at about 5.30 on my driveway. I went to load my stuff up in my car. I looked at the sky. It was pitch black, but the stars were so bright. I've memorized the locations of about six or eight key constellations in the sky because scripture says God holds the stars in place and he doesn't allow them to move. So every time I see them in the same place in the night sky in the same order, I think God's still in control, something I've done for years. And as I looked up and realized God was still in control of the universe, I just said, God, I'm, in, I'm just in awe. I don't know how you do this, but I'm in awe that you do. Just a little adoration prayer. The, the moments of awe in your heart. Sometimes those adoration prayers sound like this. God, I'm in awe of your forgiveness because I messed up. Sometimes they sound like this. God, I'm in awe of your patience because I messed up again and again and again. Sometimes they sound like this. I look at a beautiful sunrise or a sunset or the ocean or the mountains and like I just have to catch my breath and I just think, God, this creation of yours. Adoration is God, I'm in awe of how much you love people how much you care for people. I was just sitting in the back with Pastor Mike's son, Andy, who's been in the Peace Corps for two years in Peru. And as I sat there and watched this young man, I thought only God would know where to send people deep into the mountain villages of Peru that needed someone to love them that could help them. God does that. I'm in awe of God. That's adoration. God, I'm in awe of. If you can fill in the blank with one word, you've learned a sentence of prayer. A stands for what? Adoration. C stands for confession. And listen, this is a big one. This is so much bigger than you think it is. This is so much more important than you think it is. Confession is cleansing your heart before God. I want you to watch how important this is. I'm going to share a verse with you that I believe is one of the most encouraging, frightening, promising, threatening verses in all the Bible. It's all of those things. It's encouraging. It's frightening. It's promising. It's threatening. You say, why? Look what Isaiah has to say about God and prayer. Isaiah says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. That's a great promise. God is strong enough to do anything. God's ears are good enough to hear anything. That's a great promise. 
But listen to the threat. But your iniquities, it's another word for sin, have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God can do anything. And God can hear anything. But if you're holding on to some sin in your heart that you will not confess, when you get past that point in the prayer, God doesn't hear your prayers anymore. Some of you have been praying a list of 20 things, and you're wondering when God's going to act on it. But because it did not start with God, I've been in rebellion and sin in this area, and I confess that, and I ask for your forgiveness. He's not heard anything past that line. Confession is huge. It's huge. And here's what Jesus teaches us in his model prayer. Deep prayers of confession actually move past sin and into the situation. I don't know if you saw this, but it's one thing to say, Lord, forgive me for X. It's another thing to say, Lord, forgive me of X and help me to stop doing ABC because that always leads me to X. But that's how Jesus teaches us to pray, move past the sin and into the situation. Look at what he says in Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus says, you can come to me every time and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But if it's the same, forgive me, maybe you need to start saying, Lord, forgive me for this and help me to get a new group of friends because they always lead to this. And help me to get some new activities in my life because they always lead to this. And help me to change what I listen to or watch because they always leave me talking like this. You get the difference between the situation and the sin, right? Jesus says, go past the sin into the situation, confess the sin, but ask for help in the situation so you can remove that temptation from your life. You say, how do I pray a prayer like that? Forgive me, God, for this. Help me, God, in these areas. And then you just fill in the blanks. A is for what? C is for what? Confession. We're halfway there. T is for thanksgiving. T is for thanksgiving, which just means have a spirit of gratitude. Jesus in Matthew 6.10 prays this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is basically saying, you're here, you're now, you're moving. God, thank you that you are right here with me now and not just a God who's in heaven. That's what Moses said. God is near you. He's not a God far away. So Jesus says, thanks that you're here and that you're moving right here and right now. When it comes to prayers of thanksgiving, we sometimes miss because we think we're only supposed to thank God for the good stuff. However, We need to thank God for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in the last two categories, we need to specifically thank God for how he will use those things to make us more like Jesus. So a Thanksgiving prayer might be, Lord, thank you for this blessing because it was unbelievably needed. Or it might be, Lord, thank you, not for that burden, but for how that thing changed me because I think it made me more like Jesus. Lord, thank you for that ugly thing that happened. Because I, wouldn't, I would have never wanted that to happen to me. I would have never chosen for that to happen to me. But it changed the way I see people, see scenarios, see situations. And I think I look at things more like Jesus now. So thank you for how that made me more like you. A is for what? C is for what? T is for Thanksgiving. S is for supplication. Or you might write next to S, write the word stuff. Write the word stuff. Because supplication is, is just asking God for things. It's telling God the needs that you're aware of. Supplication is asking for stuff. 
And I love what Jesus does because in Matthew 6, 11, he prays a prayer that I prayed this morning. I pray this a lot of days in my life. Give us today our daily bread. That means this, God, give me what I need to get through today. That's what that means. God, give me what I need to get through today. Give us our daily bread. You need to understand, I put a little BTW, by the way, on your sermon notes. It's okay to ask God for things. A lot of Christians think, man, the life I live, who, who I've been, what I've gone through, I don't feel like I should ever ask God for anything. No, God wants you to ask him for things. He wants you to tell him his needs. Jesus said it's okay to ask for your daily bread, but listen, it better come after confession. It probably should come after adoration. And it should come after a heart of gratitude that says, if you give me more things that I'm asking for, I'll always remember to be thankful for those. If you can remember the word acts, you can remember a prayer outline. And if you just know enough of your life to know what makes you feel in awe, to know what separates you from God, to know how God has blessed you and to know what you need, you know how to pray. All you got to do is remember the word acts. A is for what? C is for what? T is for what? S is for what? Or stuff and don't sleep with snakes. If you can remember that, you have everything that you need to know for this message. You say, why is that so important? Why is it so important to learn how to pray to have an outline? Why is it so important to talk to God? Because number three, the mission of prayer. The mission of prayer will change your life. See, what we've been learning is the method of prayer. And the method of prayer is simple. Just connect your heart to the heart of God. That's the method of prayer. Open up your heart and connect your heart to the heart of the God of the universe. The, the method looks different. If you show up tomorrow morning, you're going to see some people on their knees praying. You're going to see some people walking back and forth praying. You're going to see some people standing at the wall praying. Some people will be circling the building praying. Some people will have their eyes closed. Some people will have their eyes open. Some people will be praying out loud. Some people will be barely whispering. Some people will just look like they're meditating. Some people will look like they're sleeping because they are. It's early, but at least they're here. So we're, we're like glad that they're trying. But you'll see all kinds of different methods of prayer. But the method of prayer is simple. Listen, prayer is two things. Prayer is simple and it's supernatural. The method of prayer is simple. Just open your heart to God. Romans 8 says sometimes you pray without saying anything because you don't even know what to say. So like your spirit just communicates with heaven. Paul says in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. If we will connect our heart to heaven, the Holy Spirit will do the rest and communicate to God on our behalf what's going on in our life. Prayer is simple, but prayer is supernatural. Because the mission of prayer is supernatural. Prayer changes your heart to be more like the heart of God. Here is kind of the little secret about prayer that a lot of people don't know. Prayer, we don't pray so that we can change God's heart to get what we want. We pray so God can change our hearts to get what he wants. See how that works? We don't pray so we can get God on our side. We pray because that's what gets us on God's side. It reprograms our heart so that we want the same things that God would want. And here is, here's a, here's a very in-depth, I'm not going to do it justice. You have to listen to the Activate podcast this week to learn a little more, and then you might have to go read some theology books. Because there, there is a theological paradox in today's scripture that you got to dig deep into to understand what Jesus was saying. But when you understand what Jesus was saying, you understand how much prayer changes you. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, we read two of what I believe are the most powerful and dangerous verses in the New Testament. Dangerous if misapplied, powerful if you understand them. 
Jesus ends this model prayer by saying this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That is not saying what it appears to be saying. Say, how do you know that? Because the very clear gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, says that there is nothing that you can do to earn forgiveness. And there is nothing you can do to lose or forfeit the forgiveness that Jesus gives you. Salvation is not conditional. Jesus did not hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as long as they forgive everyone first. You are not forgiven because you will forgive. The gospel clearly says that. Salvation is a free gift. It's given to you through grace, by faith. It's a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. It's not the way it works. You say, well, what, then what does this mean? Because this says that the way I earn forgiveness is I forgive, and if I forgive, God has to forgive me. That can't be what that says if we understand the clear gospel. You say, what does it mean then? We're gonna, do, we're gonna dip our toe into the deep end of theology a little bit, and I just wanna give you two words to hang on to to learn maybe a little more about if you're a serious Bible student. It's always important to understand whether a Bible passage is descriptive or prescriptive. It's always important when you look at a Bible passage, you say, okay, is this, is this describing something? or prescribing something, descriptive or prescriptive. You say, what do you mean by prescriptive? Think of prescription, think of doctor, think of Walgreens, think of CVS, think of pharmacy, prescription. It's what you have to do, it's what you have to have. Doctor's orders, this is what it's gonna take to make you healthy. There are some prescriptions in scripture. You have to repent to follow Jesus. Because you were born moving in one direction, you have to repent, which means you have to give up living for yourself and you gotta start living for Jesus. You gotta repent, prescription, you gotta repent. You gotta be baptized. Now, not to be a Christian, but the Bible prescribes that everyone who follows Jesus should be baptized with water. The thief on the cross is hanging out there. You say, what about the thief on the cross? If you want to be him, bad enough not to be baptized, you can be him. I would rather be a thief not on the cross, who gets to experience water baptism. Baptism, prescription. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be baptized. One of the goals, one of the emphasis of our church in 2020 is gonna be that every Jesus follower in our church gets water baptized. If you are not yet, it is a step that is prescribed for your spiritual walk. You need to stop waiting. If you're a follower of Jesus, you gotta be water baptized. Prescription. Every, every Christian before you has done it, Every Christian will do it or every Christian should do it. Prescription, prayer, prescription. Jesus says you should pray, prescription. You say, well, okay, then I get prescription, things that everyone has done, will do, or should do. What is the description? What's descriptive Bible teaching? It describes what will happen to you as you begin to follow the prescriptions or the commands. Let me give you an example. In 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul tells Timothy, one of his young apprentices, Timothy, endure hardship, endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we believe that was prescriptive, that would mean that all of us would have to go find some hardship or suffering and jump into the middle of it because every Christian is supposed to endure hardship as a good soldier. But it's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. That was something happening to Timothy. That shows that that describes to us how we deal with suffering, how we deal with hardship when it comes. But as Christians, when you take things that describe the Christian walk and you prescribe them for everyone, that's called legalism. And you build this thing that for you is Christianity that is not free, 
that is not freely given. And you say, you have to do all of this stuff. That's not the gospel of Jesus. And when we look at this and we know for sure that you cannot earn your forgiveness and we know you cannot lose or forfeit your forgiveness, I have to say, then what's it saying? Because it appears to be saying that. Here's what it's saying. It's saying the more you ask for forgiveness, the more you receive forgiveness, the more you will understand forgiveness, and the more willing you will be to give forgiveness because your heart will really understand what God has done for you and it will make you want to do it for others. What it's telling us is that if you will begin to pray and you will press in and you will keep praying and you understand it, it will change your heart and all of a sudden your heart will look like the heart of God. Not if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven, but you will realize how deeply you have been forgiven and you will want to forgive. You will change from the inside out. I wish I could take more time to talk about it, Don't have a lot of time here. If you have 25 minutes to listen to the Activate podcast this week, we take about 10 more minutes to talk about prescriptive versus descriptive biblical teaching, biblical statements. If if you're a Bible junkie nerd and want to check it out, that's where you'll do it. The key thought today is basically this. Prayer will change you. Prayer will change you, and that is the mission of prayer. We don't pray to get things from God. We pray to give more of ourselves to God. That is why we pray so we can ultimately look more like Jesus. And listen, here's the bottom line today. Nothing will make you look more like Jesus than becoming a person of fervent and consistent prayer. Nothing will make you look more like Jesus than becoming a person of consistent and fervent prayer. It makes the normal person experience supernatural things. We meet one of them in scripture, his name's Elijah, and James, the little brother of Jesus, tells us that the only thing that made Elijah, who was a very normal guy, experience very supernatural things, was that he prayed fervently and consistently. James says Elijah was a human being, just a normal person, just like us, even as we are. But he prayed earnestly that it would rain and it didn't rain, that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. James would go on to say, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It does work. It changes things. When normal people pray, supernatural things happen. So let me ask you, church. We want to be a church of prayer. Are you a person who prays? Or are you a person who has a life of prayer that has made some normal things end up abnormal, supernatural because of what God has done. That's what this series is about, which is why we're going to pray. We're going to pray every day for the next 21 days, 6 to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on Saturdays. We're going to pray because prayer makes the normal experience the supernatural. It's why we're going to learn to pray every Sunday this month. We're going to come and we're going to learn a little bit more about prayer. Why are we going to learn about prayer? Because prayer makes the normal experience the supernatural. So be here every Sunday. If you can't be here, watch online, tune in, listen, learn. We're going to pray and we're going to start today. We're going to start praying today. Your prayer, not mine. You say, why? Because it's the only way the normal experiences the supernatural. And I deeply, for me and for you, want us to experience the supernatural together. So we're going to start now. If you can remember Acts and you know your life, You know who you are. You know what opens up your heart. You know what needs you have. You know what has to go. You're ready to pray. So would you bow your heads with me? 
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room for those watching online. We're gonna pray today through the Acts outline, simply, but supernaturally, right in our seats where we are. God, we thank you for the challenge to pray, the example of prayer, the outcome of prayer in our lives. Teach us to pray so we might become more like Jesus and God start now. Let's start with the letter A. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open to heaven. What part of God's attributes or creation make you feel awe? A is adoration. If there is one, tell God right now. Your prayer could be one word. Stars, beach, sunrise, sunset, love, forgiveness, power, eternity. Adoration. What part of God's attributes or creations make you feel awe? Fill in the blank. Confession. What sins or struggles do you need to confess? Do you need forgiveness for? Do you need help with? Fill in the blank. Not out loud, but God hears the prayers of our hearts. What sins need to go because they're keeping the rest of your prayers from being heard? What struggles always lead to those sins so you need the power to get out of the situation? Tell God. Fill in the blank. Confession. T is for thanksgiving. What did God do in 2019 that you're thankful for? What one thing? If you cannot think of anything, then thank him that he gave you another year to improve upon last year. Because if you're sitting here today, if you're not dead, God's not done. Thank him that you're still going. Thanksgiving. And then letter S is for supplication. Stuff. What one thing do you need God's help with the most in 2020? It's okay to ask God for things. What one thing do you need God's help with in 2020? Supplication. If you filled in the blanks, you did it. You prayed your prayer from your heart, your situation, according to the model prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6. Now just repeat that every day. God, help us to develop a life of prayer so that our hearts might change and let our hearts change that our life might change and God let our outward signal to people our faith is authentic let our inward signal to people that our faith is authentic let our actions signal to people that our faith is authentic when we pray not if when we pray this is how we should pray because it will change our hearts to make us more like you. Do that for us, Lord. Do it for our church as we move forward. God, we love you. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.